1: Welcome back to season 5 of Comic Book Nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture and the official podcast of comicbook.com. I am your host Kofi Outlaw and with me in CB Studios today, we have Janelle Wheeler who I'm is hot. Yeah, she's back for the first time in a long time. We have Janelle Yay. Wheeler joining us Feels in good. studio, which means somebody had to replace her in limbo in the home studio. <laughs> and this week, this is our most regularist guest over the course of 5 seasons. He's a comicbook.com writer and the architect and head of our comicbook.com wrestling section. Mr. Connor Casey is with us.
2: My slow ascension on this podcast continues.
1: Thank you, Kofi. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's a slow coup. It's a slow coup. We love to see it. Um, If you guys are watching us live, which you should be because uh, the interactive version of the show is always so much fun and you guys should be a part of it. You probably noticed that my regular co-host and uh, longtime partner since the beginning of this, Matthew Aguilar, is not here with us today, which is absurd because Matt's like we were just talking before the show. Matt's like never not here, but um, it's not a bad thing. Matt's a OK. He's actually out in the field covering wwe's royal rumble for us so he is quite a fun weekend matt is a big wrestling fan and so he is getting to get out in the field i mean he's usually either cooped up doing this or doing dad stuff or doing just comic book writing stuff so we love it when he gets to get out have some some fun meet some of his favorite kind of wrestlers and uh he's gonna be making a bunch of great content for comicbook.com wrestling and for our comic book nation youtube page so uh keep Both of those in your bookmarks if you're a wrestling fan over the course of Royal Rumble weekend. So that's all the uh, elephant in the room kind of stuff we got to do here. (laughs) Matt's okay. He's having fun. Janelle's with us. Connor's calling in. And we got a lot to cover this week. We are the only show that covers all things geek culture, and we got to do a lot of it today. First up, we're going to be stopping by the DC Universe to talk about a couple things. If you have not been following our show through all five seasons in our first season, when we were just a young podcast back in our old comicbook.com studios, (laughs) we one of the first things we did on this podcast was we were some of the only ones who had DC Universe accounts. And we were super duper excited when we got to be one of the first shows to cover uh, DC Universe's original title releases. Two of the biggest ones, of course, were titans and doom patrol and this week it was announced that both are going to be these fourth seasons are going to be the end of these shows so titans and doom patrol are coming to an end on hbo max and we just wanted to take a minute and just say r.i.p yeah because as we said this those shows were very tied to us in this show we we really just launched the show being and that was some of our most exclusive and kind of drought crowd drawing content. Some of you who are regular fans are here because of that mm-hmm. and because of those conversations. Because like I said, we were some of the only people <laughs> with DC Universe accounts who were, you know, jumping into these shows and and covering them. So
0: I binged these like at the you know suggestion of you guys. And um, I I guess the the one thing that I have to say is I just wish they would have known sooner that like this was going to be their last season because i feel like they would have like wrapped things up differently you know
1: yeah yeah and i
0: will say that like titans has become like a staple for me personally and i really feel like it's elevated so much since it's been on hbo so this is kind of a bummer in my opinion
2: didn't uh, didn't doom patrol know that they were kind of wrapping up
1: i I feel like it, it was more of a surprise for titans I think it was yeah. more a surprise for Titans. Doom Patrol mm-hmm. kind of new. And, um, yeah, and I think they were ready to be kind of done with it because they had done a lot with that show, but it was something that felt like it was going to wrap up its story. Yeah. Um, Titans, Brenton, I think there was confusion about Titans because years ago during one of the DC fandoms, I forget if it was the 2020 or the 2021 DC fandom, Brenton Thwaites actually came out and was doing a spot for Titan season four and he made some comments or he was doing an interview and he said, you know, he was talking about one of the storylines about him and Starfire, And he's like, yeah, these are things, you know, that we're going to see play out over seasons four and five. And so it led people to believe that there had been discussions and plans made for a season five to come. Mm -hmm. And now it kind of was just like, Oh, I think both we kind of knew over the last year, it's been a crazy year at DC and we, we knew there were changes on the way, obviously, uh, with Warner Brothers Discovery kind of coming in and David Zaslav saying they're going to do a bunch of stuff different and the whole DC Studios launch. I mean, clearly, it was going to be a new day.
0: I was hopeful on this one, though. Um, I, was. I wasn't. I wasn't. I was if hopeful that we keep Titans.
1: No, if there's anything that's easy to cut, it's, it's a show that gets kind of middling audience ratings that now has casts going into fifth seasons where, you know payments, contracts, all that stuff Mm -hmm. can cost you a lot more money and are probably not cheap to produce. It's different for like Harley Quinn, which animation is much more manageable voice acting, much more affordable. But I think I knew all these both were on the bubble. And (laughs) unless you were going to build out this section of the DC universe, they're going to probably focus their efforts in doing what Marvel has done, which is kind of cutting all the extraneous kind of shows, the agents of Mm -hmm. shields of what have you and legions and making it all one big in-universe things with like the Penguin series connected to the Batman and whatever else they plan. There's Green Lantern show, wherever it fits in. And that's still happening. So, I mean, writing was kind of on the wall, but yeah, it is. It's disappointing. And to answer uh, some questions from the comments. Yeah. uh, Titans season four is on hiatus. It's supposed to be back. We don't have an official date, but I think March or April are what, one kind of executive producer or crew member or somebody kind of let slip. So I think it's in the spring that we'll get the second half of Titan season four, which is exciting. We just got White Raven, Brother Blood just became Brother Blood. Like there's about to jump off. So at least we'll get an exciting end to Titans. But maybe they'll shoot something to kind of wrap it up. I don't know. They do have the hiatus time to kind of maybe go back in and film like a little, at least epilogue or something to just kind of so. close it out. The That'd right be way. nice. All right, um, and uh, yeah, welcome Meteor 316 to the live show. This is where it really goes down. So
3: <laughs> R.I.P.
1: Titans and Doom Patrol. Just And uh, if you guys haven't seen it yet, the new Shazam Fury of the Gods trailer dropped yesterday. So this is one of the DC movies we're getting this year, although it is. Sometimes I think, Janelle, you've spoken on this before <laughs> about how hard it is now to kind of get invested in these movies. Um, I didn't agree with you when you said it before. I just was too tired to fight that day, but... I, after seeing this trailer, I'm kind of agreeing with you now. I'm know. like, yeah, it looks cool, but why? Like, yeah. how invested? And until somebody tells me that, like, Shazam is headed for a bold new future in this new DCU, like, I don't yep. know if I can ever just look at this as, like, almost like an extra size silly TV one-off. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Nailed so, it. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Connor, maybe we we've beat this horse dead. What do you you need? We need some fresh perspective
2: <laughs> Sure. So I, I can't believe I'm the one coming into this with some uh, positivity when it comes to the DCEU. But uh, when I first watched the trailer yesterday, I thought I honestly couldn't get through it. I got about halfway through and said, yeah, this looks boring. Uh, but mm. when I knew we were talking about it today, I figured I'll give it another shot and look at it. And I want to try and take this from a different perspective because On the one hand, there's no Superman, no Black Adam. COVID slowed down its production. This isn't going to be connected to anything outside of its own franchise. The big DCEU reboot is on the way. That Mr. Mind uh, midway trailer from the last movie is clearly not getting followed up on. But I think they took this one and just said, let's just try to have some fun with it. Let's throw in dragons. Let's throw in Helen Mirren. Let's throw in some cool looking fights and try to make this as fun as possible without worrying about world building. And guys, let's be honest, in a world where Marvel kind of fumbled the bag with a lot of its world building and phase four and the multiverse and whatnot, I'll happily take something that's self-contained like this and it's just trying to be good on its own terms rather than this needs to be one big piece, one piece and something much bigger.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be fun, but as people are pointing out in the comments, I don't know if it's like, I'm going to a theater fun.
0: It's not for me, for sure. Yeah,
1: this is one of those, I'll see you in HBO Max in 30 to 45 days (laughs) type fun. Yep. So.
0: (laughs) But Connor, I'm so glad you have that perspective. Yeah, I didn't expect
1: positivity
2: from from Connor. Yeah,
0: it's great to see you. You're kind of filling the Janelle role.
2: If if Matt's not here, someone's got to be blindly positive. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Matt would just be like, it looks fun. It looks yeah. fun. You know, it, does it looks cool. Someone made a Khaleesi reference. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Game of Thrones. People were freaking out in the comments. The Game of Thrones exists in the DCU now. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, and Lucy Liu <laughs> and Helen Mirren as the daughters of Atlas. I mean, that's like the biggest thing that mm-hmm. would get me to see this because they look like they are chewing scenery in like the best way possible and having a good time collecting a check, doing it. <laughs> and if they had to get into this silly superhero stuff, this is a pretty good thing for them to just kind of dip in and get out and, have some fun, like you said. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not I've never been down on Shazam. It's just not my favorite franchise of DC and nothing against it. It's funny. It's set in Philadelphia. The cast is great. The young cast is great. But, um, yeah, I mean, it just looks like at this point, it feels like a 2000 superhero movie to me connected yep. to nothing and just kind of out there. And it, and it's kind of hard to invest. But, you know, I'll see you on HBO Max in 45 days and I'll be very happy. <laughs> and it looks better than Black Adam. So, you know. <laughs> All right. Black
0: Adam wasn't that bad.
1: It definitely wasn't that good.
0: I liked it. Onion.
1: yeah. And, and Kofi,
2: you said it's set in Philly, so when the Eagles lose in the playoffs, this will be this will be the
1: recompense for that. You'll be wow. able to bounce you back like
0: this. Yeah. Well, okay.
1: <laughs> Any other year that might have hurt, but this year <laughs> you better you better just. Better slap some ice on my home, Kansas City boy, and just hope he's, for the best.
2: there. He's walking just fine, thank <laughs> you. <but. laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't
1: think so. Looking like he's doing like I don't even. I'm looking like weekend at Bernie's in that last game. All right, uh-huh. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to uh, geek stuff. Leave we'll football on the side. We don't want to go there. But um, let's talk. Move around to our main event. One of our main topics today. Um, you know, comic book nation. We usually do geeky stuff, but believe it or not, guys, we are multifaceted and. We kind of got set up for phase zero by this because Brandon Davis said they'll do it. And I was like, "Uh, I guess we'll do it. <laughs> but we'll talk about Oscars today. So this week, the Oscars were announced for what I believe is the 95th. Is it 95th this year? Nin- uh, 95th, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. Yes, because yeah. it looks like
1: 1995 in the logo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like... the 95th Oscars were released. I mean, the nominations were announced. Uh, Riz, I'm, Riz, I'm, Riz I'm, oh, my God. Riz, Ahmed, and Allison Wilson. <laughs> Allison Williams. I just butchered everything right That's there. That's okay um both got up there and read the nominations was a live disney event which i think they handled very well this year getting it live on disney plus making it available and it was simple it was short Short, sweet and to the point and exciting to watch sometimes
0: it gets so cringy no they picked good hosts this
1: year uh Williams had to dance through some stupid dialogue but she does it really well so uh yeah it was good but um let's just talk about what we got Uh, So, I mean, interesting lineup this year. We're going to start with just like the best picture. We're going to go through these not take too long, but Mm -hmm. uh, a good mix this year. And I think what I would say about the best picture noms is how I'm surprised about what a kind of mix of we gotten big blockbusters and kind of the usual art house stuff you would probably expect
0: usually there's only like one blockbuster yeah but (laughs) this year it
1: seems to be really tipping right yeah and not only blockbusters but two sequels which is insane for like yeah yeah which if you're not an oscar buff that is kind of insane for for a best picture nominee um and so we got avatar the way of water is up there for best picture and top gun maverick like those are the two kind of Really big films that are in there. Mm -hmm. Um, Our dark horse kind of breakout hit for a lot of people this year. Everything, everywhere, all at once, which I was so happy to see because I was like, if you fumble the ball on this one, but I mean, it won Golden Globes. It like has topped so many critics lists. It topped comic book nation's you know list for me and Janelle, which is really what should matter in these things, right? (laughs) Um, But like, yeah, it was it was good to see it up there. I mean, I am pulling and all, all things said, like I am pulling for this one and some background. I know I should give you um, even comic book staff and producer Jim Viscardi doesn't always register this, but uh, people like uh, Charlie, Charlie, uh, (laughs) turn up Charlie. If you ever know Charlie Ridgely, who's on paternity leave right now, shout out to him and his little man and his wife. They're doing good. I saw them. I saw him rather, but um, me and Charlie are part of the music city film critics. I was like one of the founding members of the Nashville film film critics group. So we do all this. I actually do this as my like little side hustle yeah. to comic book is seeing all these prestigious films, making these lists and we help kind of influence who gets in these circles. And a lot of these people and a lot of these films were from our kind of list too. So I'm happy right. with all how all this is going and I am invested in this Oscar stuff. So that's a little fact about me. Yeah. Um, but all this list that we just kind of showed, I, I think we're pulling for everything everywhere all at once. Oh, yeah. I don't think any I've seen and I've seen pretty much all of these. Um, Triangle of Sadness Good is the you, only one I haven't I have not. seen. Yeah, no, most people <laughs> haven't. So we're not going to get into too deep. I know my audience, um, but I've seen most of these. And while I like all of these films, I think it's time for something that actually spoke to a lot of people that actually touched a lot of people that actually yeah. made us get back in and like love movies yes. as movies. I think this is the year that's very important.
0: Agreed.
1: And that's something more along the lines of Top Gun Maverick or everything everywhere all at once.
0: Is there anything on there that like, you're kind of like, why I'm
1: not getting into that. We'll get into snubs and, okay. and things like that in a little bit. But um, I mean, there's just the usual stuff. Tar is very Oscar is Cape Lanchette doing this character piece. Um, Fableman's is classic kind of Spielberg, Oscar bait, mm-hmm. all quiet on the Western front. I mean, war movies have been, you know, getting always, yeah, this one is, I mean, it's rough, but it's very well done. Okay. Um, it's kind of like a DAS boot of kind of world war one with like people in the trenches, the camera, it's very wow. intense um also on netflix but like avatar i mean but i don't want I mean, avatar for me elvis
0: like yeah, elvis, i was not impressed with elvis personally i think but elvis
1: is the performance thing for like austin butler who did yeah. like a really good job as opposed to the whole Baz Larman experience of it gotcha. all um yeah so i'm kind of just we'll make this simple i'm pulling for everything everywhere all at once and so should you connor <laughs> i know you are kind of a film buff too in between wrestling you're a complex layered man so what do you feel about all this <laughs> So the Oscars
2: used to be my jam. This used to be, especially in college, I went out of my way to make sure that I saw everything that got nominated. Um, somewhere along the line, mostly with COVID, I fell off that track. And But I've made it my mission this year, now that the awards are up, to try and see all the Best Picture noms before the, cer- the, the ceremony. Um, But the interesting thing about the Oscars is that the conversation is never just the award, is never just the nominations. It's the award itself and how the Oscars are always asking the question of how do we get people to actually watch this thing? Because the ratings keep going down. And I think a great response is put some movies in the nominations that people have actually seen. And not just, (laughs) oh, we're going to put the Batman and the Marvel movies in the technical categories. We're going to put Avatar Mm -hmm. 2, which just crossed $2 in Best Picture Conversation, we're going to put Top Gun Maverick, which held the title for highest box office of the year for a long time in the conversation. We're also going to put the low-key internet fan favorites like Everything Everywhere. Uh, Elvis basically turned into one giant meme by the end, so I feel like enough people were talking about it where it was justified. But then you still can't escape the art house type movies, women talking how many people have honestly seen that tar you only have heard about that if you've listened to critics talk about it um i just think that this similar to pre-pandemic when parasite won, Mm -hmm. everything everywhere all at once is kind of poised as the it's not the biggest of the box office hits but it's argued it's pretty indisputably the best movie of the past Mm -hmm. year and rightfully deserves to be recognized as so even though it's smaller cast, smaller budget, lesser-known directors, it g- can gain so much, and the awards can gain so much by being el- by elevating this to that best picture status. Yes. Um, and, and if you look at the other categories, like of the fun movies that we all talk about, did anyone really feel there was a snub? Because I, outside of Angela Bassett getting uh, best supporting... I didn't really think that there was anybody that really deserved. Oh, there's from- like
0: a whole oh. section that
1: have Oh yeah, yeah. Let's go in. <laughs> okay, if we want to go in. into snubs, we can go into snubs for <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. So yeah, I mean, there is a lot of good stuff sprinkled throughout the geek stuff. I mean, visual effects. We're used to, you know, the Batman got three nominations, Black Panther got five, Avatar Two got four. So mm-hmm. I mean, DC and Marvel are pretty much starting to rack up nominations. Even in the major categories, like you said,
0: Absolutely. Um,
1: in still holding down visual effects and things like that. But uh, yeah, geek culture is kind of bleeding into this prestige lane. And but there were some snubs this year. I think a lot of one that a lot of people are talking about has to do in the best actress category. Um, some pe- a lot of people were not happy with some picks like Andrea Rice Burrow or Anna de Armis. And I'm not here to debate, you know, actresses in like what they did. Everybody put their effort in. Right like I'm not here to tear anybody down, but I think that Viola Davis and the woman King was a movie that was heavily campaigned for it. a lot of critics Absolutely. really nailed and it got snubbed in everything.
0: That is crazy. And so
1: like, I mean, and there are a lot of things, production design, cinematography, acting, There's like all anything. of that, like Jeez. there were, I mean, this movie topped a lot of critics list and got nothing. Mm-hmm. Um And the same for, Danielle, in a more specific thing, Danielle Deadweiler, who starred as Emmett Till's mother in the film Till, which itself is not necessarily on Oscars radar, but her performance as Emmett Till's mother definitely was. And so a lot of people felt that the categories of like best actress that we the, the picks that we got, you know, taking out some of the obvious ones. And there were some just questionable ones. Michelle Yeoh. Nobody's 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 kind of arguing yeah. with that. But I think some things like did Michelle Williams belong in that court category? Was she best actress, or should she have been in supporting? And that's always there's oh, a lot yeah. of as Connor indicated, that's and as you notice in critics groups, there is a lot of politics that goes mm-hmm. into this. Mm-hmm. Oscars and awards are not objective. It's not like okay, here's Was the best. It's, yeah, it's there's like,
0: like campaigning. Like there's campaigning. campaigning. Yes, you I have didn't to. Yeah, you have
1: to remind people. That your film is something you think and is you awards have to like worthy. Back it like a yeah. po-
0: like a politician, like yeah, no. spend money to yep. campaign. It's a lot That's of money. Crazy. There's
1: the amount parties, of parties, there's four years consideration. Yeah. Yeah. It's changing now, but the amount of hardware they send out, like DVD screeners, things oh, like that yeah. to critics, the amount of parties they host. When I lived in New York City, like this season was all my whole schedule was like work during the day, at night, go to this Oscar party event, or yeah. event and this. Studio Fox Searchlight had so one, like all the major ones and you got and they were just schmoozing parties where Reese Witherspoon and Laura Dern walked in the year for wild and you know you talk and you chat and then you leave with a happy memory nobody says anything to you. You know, mm-hmm. He directly influences you, but you're right. like, yeah, that movie.
0: That is um, so interesting. There's a lot that has
1: to do with who people are and yep. what they see, what their socio, you know, friends, background like who are. Who are their friends? Who are their friends? Where do they come from? What kind of movies do they see? Mm-hmm. um, You know, who goes to see Moonlight versus like something like, you know, the famous, all that stuff comes mm-hmm. into play. So it is kind of a it's a weird world, and there were some, as always, snubs. But it's kind of a weird year because I was thinking about how angry to get with this, and I was like, "Well, there's a lot of women who are really getting recognized, but yeah. maybe not all of them that we wanted." But also, like more people of stuff color, is getting yeah. Nerd getting <laughs> More, more about. diversity people, yeah. you know, Asians, people, it's you know, Black so Latino hard. people. Like, it's all kind it's, of coming, but still not happy. Like, how how uh, angry versus happy should we be? Right. It's always confusing these days. It right? is like so. I don't know, but, um, but I think Connor nailed it on the head to sum this all up by saying like, yeah, uh, I think it's, it's good that they're putting in movies that more people actually go to see and Mm -hmm. more of these movies have actually made money. And so
0: mainstream, let's go.
1: So, yeah, that's, that's (laughs) an improvement on that. Uh, any final thoughts, Connor? Uh, just that obviously
2: a woman King until getting snubbed is reprehensible. Those were both really solid. I, my comment earlier regarding the snubs—I was talking about specifically the the movies that we're always talking about each week on here, the quote-unquote fun ones, the the comic book world stuff. Um, I didn't notice any big snubs on that front. I didn't oh, people make- are mad
1: as hell about Morbius. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean,
2: and they can—it's Morbin time, buddy. They can yeah, go. Morbius. And people are mad as hell about Morbius. The only guy I thought might have had a shot was Paul Dano as Riddler, but I also think that became too much of a I mean, meme as there the is a, went on.
1: I, No, I, I will say there is a big Paul Dano anger pool out there in right Fable now. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was in Fablements in Excellent, and he was in the Batman in Excellent. And either one of those supporting ones would have been good for him. But uh yeah, it was a year of Paul Dano, but he didn't get the recognition, but he won in other ways. So yeah. you know it's okay. Paul Dano's gonna be all right. And he's been at the Oscars nominated before, like there will be blood and stuff like that. So he's, he's all right. Um, All right. We're going to take a break here uh, for this segment of the show. And when we come back, we're going to discuss the comics of the week. We're going to preview WWE's Royal rumble. And officially this week, we're going to be starting the new format of our show where we're going to cut the live broadcast at about an hour. And then we're going to have a bonus kind of overtime or comic book nation plus plus because we give you more That's than so just one cool. plus I'm uh, section that will be exclusively on our going up on our YouTube page. So, sure so you there will be more show in today's topic. We're going to break down this Rick and Morty thing and we're going to talk about The Last of Us. So that is going to be in our bonus section of the show, which is only on the at or on the comic book nation youtube page and you'll find it there after the live broadcast every week so be sure to subscribe to the comic book nation youtube page and come back with us when we are back in a minute because we're going to talk about some crazy comic stuff this week plus the crazier stuff happening at wwe royal rumble stay tuned Welcome back to comic book nation, the only show that does it all for geek culture in our first segment. We talked about the big cancellations at DC of, uh, DC's Titans and doom patrol series. We also looked at the Shazam Shazam fury of the gods trailer and broke down this year's Oscar nominations and snubs and what it means for geek culture. So you can find all that in the first segment of the show, but now moving on to our second segment, it's time for kind of our, uh, previews and reviews and this week our reviews we're going to be moving up our comic book section matt's gone matt aguilar usually is our comic book maestro but uh he is off covering wwe royal rumble this week so it's up to me janelle and connor to do it and uh what a week and i saw him had on wednesday (laughs) he came in the office to prep for royal rumble and some other stuff and he's not usually here when i'm here but uh we saw each other And he was just lamenting the fact that this is the one week of comics that he chose (laughs) to miss. But uh, here we go. Let's get weird. So first up in our comics pick this week is the new X-Men event launch or X-Men event kind of uh, special issue. I'm sorry, Matt, I'm failing. Um, (laughs) But it's called Sins of Sinister. And Sins of Sinister is a comic that brings together so many different storylines from both the X-Men's new House of X era and old easter eggs there's there was marvel even released a thing to be like yo you guys know how many easter eggs are in this thing right and oh my it God. wasn't they weren't kidding there are so many callbacks to like past x-men marvel events things like that and wow. we all were wondering what we're going to be getting because in the months leading up to this mr sinister has taken on this much more prominent role in the new x-men books and there's this whole mythology about him that's now been expanded and opened up and like they're doing wonderful stuff. Karen, Karen Gillian or Karen Gillen and um, Al Ewing, people in X-Men Red, X, Immortal X-Men. We find out that Sinister, the original one, died. He made four clones. He has that diamond in his head because it's one of four playing card stamps. There are other clones all oh, over the Marvel Universe. Yes, yeah. <laughs> So there are other clones kind of hiding all over the Marvel Universe. And Sins of Sinister deals with the diamond or or what is called the clone of Diamond, Mr. Sinister, who has been messing with mutant bloodlines. And we know that that's part of X-Men lore, but he used Moira McTaggart. He cloned her and her kind of house of X, you know, godly power to reset the timeline every time she dies and is reborn Mm -hmm. to make himself basically like an edge of tomorrow engine, which is if you've seen the Tom Cruise movie, you know, he, he, every time he dies, he gets another chance to win this war battle that he's fighting against aliens. Mm -hmm. And so Mr. Sinister killed several members of the, kind of head of the X-Men's new mutant government and they were replaced. It's wild. And in this book, we find out, we thought it was just Charles Xavier, but we find out it's all of these kind of main people <laughs> he assassinated and he's replacing them with clones of that are kind of corrupted by him and controlled right. by him.
0: Okay, so I'm following. Yes. I'm good. That was just the it. setup. I got it.
1: That was just the setup. Okay. <laughs> so in Sins of Sinister, we basically kind of have this crazy rundown about how this timeline of the Marvel Universe plays out. Where Mr. Sinister conquers the entire Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. And he starts and it's like like House of X and Powers of Ten, if you remember those books, it jumps in years. It's like plus one years, plus five, plus ten to show how his plans progressed. And like, yeah, this is one of the most wild Marvel books I've read in a while. There's just so much they get to do in the book because they get to cut loose in this kind of almost like what if fashion. Yeah. But it, it does feel it like actually that. is like this timeline. It's that is happening. actually playing out. Yeah, where they shoot juggernaut through like as a bullet through Thanos' forehead while he's like moving through the time stream. They fry Wanda from space because they don't want her to change, Sinister doesn't want her to change anything.
0: Crazy. They kick
1: Asgard off of like it's like Rainbow Bridge and into the I depths of space. i was confused like,
0: about that part. I didn't know what was happening. Okay, good to know. Yeah, so There's this is
1: this there is a lot that happens in this book that is so intensely wild and i loved it um mm-hmm. i really loved it i have been digging and i've been openly saying you know i'm loving everything these x-men books are doing especially as we get to the kind of whatever's happening with sinister and these timelines the Technoarchy and that future that they're trying to avoid with the machine takeover i'm loving all this stuff and i thought this was like yeah one of like Kirian gillen is like yeah nailing it and this the things he does with these concepts and time travel and alternate realities there's a, so many multiverse stories, but this is a way to have fun with it and to have fun with X-Men, but oh, yeah. that's just me. Let's talk to our harshest X-Men. Edit, <laughs> Janelle Wheeler. How did you feel about
0: oh, this God. book this week? Um. Okay. I respect it. I see it for what it is. I think it's really good, um, but it is a lot of information. So if you are new to X-Men, if you are, if you don't know every single detail, it's a little overwhelming, but it's not so much that you're, like, turned off. Like, I, I didn't feel, like, uncomfortable reading it. I didn't feel like, oh, God, I, I'm, like, bored out of my mind or, like, this is too much and I just, like, can't even, like... I felt okay. It just wasn't... It's There's a lot. There's yeah. so much.
1: There's a lot. But, book.
0: like, the little moments of, like, Wanda and seeing, like, Cap and, like, those moments kind of, like, keep you going. You're like, okay, like this is all tied together. This is a huge world situation. I need, or actually I guess other world because we're talking like Krakoa and all that fun stuff. Um, It definitely, it's intriguing and I want to see where it goes, but just like the way that I'm speaking right now sounds muddled because I feel muddled after watching it or reading it. I'm like, what? I don't know what all happened until Kofi kind of gave his. Yeah. There's a lot here. Stick here.
1: I mean, he's pulling together stuff that like Jonathan Hickman started in house of X with where we read these timeline charts of alternate timelines. Yeah. And ones that had like sinister developing these splice chimera mutants and all and like killing the event. I don't stuff. even
0: know sinister. And like,
1: we were just like, "What does all this mean? Like, why are these charts and these books talking about these huge events we've never seen?" Yeah, and now it's years sense. later since we started this podcast. We're okay. finally like five years, four or five years later. We're finally getting into it. Connor, what'd you make? What'd you make of all this? So for some context, I read
2: House of X and Dawn of 10 when we were reviewing it issue by issue here on the show. And then I've been keeping up with the X-Men because I review Wolverine each week. And I just picked up the new Deadpool series that started about a month ago. So I had a vague idea of what was going on. And I know Sinister. And I, I knew all the stuff about Moira and the and the and basically the resetting the timeline each time. So I was I was able to pick things up pretty quickly, and I love how Sinister is written, where it's basically "What if Deadpool was really a threat?" Where he is hilarious, and then two panels later, you go, "Oh, this stopped being funny because we just had Ben Grimm like mercilessly torture the Fantastic Four before killing them." Um, but I guess my big question, Kofi, is: is this basically a? Is this effectively a "What if"? Where it's what if Sin- Sinister's plan was enacted, and then everything is going to basically go off and keep operating as the status quo has been for the past five years, or is this the end of cr- the Kra- Kra- Krakoa saga? Effectively, like have they have they made it clear what the stakes are here yet?
1: No, it's and it's going to be kind of leading into other things. There's other books like Immoral X Men coming right. up. And ever since House of X, that's been the big question, right? Because we've seen all these alternate timelines and futures because of the whole Moira, McTaggart, Moira X power. Mm -hmm. And it's about how much of this really sticks and what filters into the ultimately, what becomes the main central timeline of it all. The end of this book, I mean, because throughout this book, I was just kind of like Janelle. I I thought it was cheeky. I was like, okay, it's like a what if, like, all right. But at the end, they make the stakes that, He can't get out of this reality that he's made for himself.
0: Which is wild. Yeah,
1: and he's stuck there. And so we're stuck there for now. Um, And so they're playing with it for now like this, but it's about how does this all loop back? Because House of X is this massive loop. And Powers of X or Powers of Ten was the X-Men starting Krakoa, then like 100 years in the future, and then 1,000 years in the future. And like what happens down this path of Krakoa and how many times Moira lived into that future, said, oh, God, this doesn't turn out well, and then reset and tried again. So she only has one life left, and that's, like, the stakes that we've heard. So this, is, this trick is coming to an end. And so it's all about now, like, what is permanent and, like, what do they set? Because they've set up a clear conflict. It's mutants versus humans versus machines. Yeah, And right now it looks like machines went out. And so it's all about how do mutants and humans avoid that. Ooh. But and we so- did see them kill
2: Nimrod like yeah. very early on to this thing. And I distinctly remember him being like, oh, in a in hundred years, this is a big threat. And yeah. he just got wiped
1: off the board. Yep. And so now it's all about like, can Sinister really pull this off? And more importantly, what happens when this is just one Sinister? There's three more. There's two of who have been revealed. One went out and tried to use, improve humanity and ended up working for Orcus, the human organization that is now like the X-Men's main nemesis. He's their scientist, and he's the one who's been like splicing humans and animals and doing human improvement and doing all this stuff. Another one was just revealed to be hanging out with aliens in the stars. He left Earth and went out and tried to mess with alien DNA to create something that would be stronger than machines. There's a fourth one we don't know yet, but given what we know, he's probably magic-based because the pathways where how do you beat machines is either use mutants, improve humans, um, or use magic to kind of do that or aliens. And so there's probably a magical one. And what happens when all these sinisters come together? That's mm. kind of like another big question. So I'm just digging X-Men comics and I like I'm the loving next this one better. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about the next one because <laughs> I really love the next one too. And I'm not hating. So we'll be keeping with all this sins of sinister and helping explain all this, but yeah. for some fun, you can have man, this exterminator series certainly Scratch that itch. So Mm -hmm. this was the finale of exterminators, a series we've done like pretty much every issue of on here on the podcast, because this is one X-Men project that when it came out, we were like, who approved that? that And are they getting a raise? Because (laughs) this is a great comic. So this was the finale of exterminators. And I'm happy to say they stuck the landing. There is so much I loved about this whole series. It's tone, it's humor, Mm -hmm. um, just the wild stuff they throw together. A group of mutant girls, like vampires, like all this stuff you don't think would make sense, like a murder world game, and all this stuff, and you know these intersecting times where they're telling this story to the Quiet Council yeah. and like dipping back into a flashback. But it worked, man, and it worked so well. Yeah. And this issue was great, where they just have a group of girls come and do demolition on this guy's yeah. like place. It's not even like a traditional revenge, Closure like you think. To yeah, the Max, and then. Yeah, it was, and just the characters of just having Boom Boom, uh, Wolverine, Jubilee, and Dazzler together were fantastic, and there was just, I mean, there were just so many flourishes, and, like, even adult-themed flourishes in this book that I I loved mm-hmm. so much, like, like Wolverine running in with beers for the girls and being like, like like boo slut. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, and I right. read that line and I was like, oh my God. And like I was just like pulled back. I was like, really? Me too. And then I read the next and panel where she's like, she's I like, regret I can't that. Yeah, I just yeah, that. Like I regret like, that I as soon as I myself. said that. Yeah. And I was <laughs> like, okay, so all right. Okay, this That's this a wink. Straight. That's a wink. And like there in on yeah. the yeah. joke. Like, yeah. And so stuff uh, like that. Perfectly executed. And yes, it's somebody flying ninja. Dr. Stasis isn't a sinister clone. Um, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, and perfectly executed in exterminators, one of my favorite. Like X-Men books of this new era by far. Mm-hmm. And I was happy to see at the end, you catch that little bit at the end.
0: Which they part? did
1: like a Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of uh twist at the last I don't page. Know. And it said uh, exterminators will return. Oh, and then at yes. the very bottom, it was like a little tiny question mark. But uh my vote is exterminators I hope better. They return. do come yeah. back.
0: I do feel like this issue was not necessary. Like the story was tied up, like everything was fine. This was this just felt kind of like a reprieve, like a fun little, like, I don't know, Easter egg at the end because it wasn't nothing really happened, but it was still so great.
1: I <laughs> got to emotionally so, damage an abusive yeah. guy. So like, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, <laughs> that was fun. And they got to like, you know, put one up on Dracula and that's not easy to do. But uh, yeah, <laughs> ladies handle themselves. Connor, did you get a chance to check out Exterminators?
2: I did. And it reads like X-Men's version of Birds of Prey, which was a lot of fun
1: so yeah no (laughs) no complaints there
0: that's great
1: All right, that is our comics for this week we do comics every week here on Comic Book Nation with some uh, big pulls Um, there's also excellent stuff that DC put out this week if you haven't read Catwoman One Bad Day go read that it's a long but great Catwoman story and that's saying something because we've read a lot of great Catwoman stories lately and Lonely City was great Um, One Bad Day is great so go check that out over on the DC side but now it's time For wrestling, we cover all things geek culture and we have an excellent wrestling team here at comicbook.com led by Mr. Connor Casey. And uh, yeah, that's where Matt Aguilar is this week, covering wrestling. So what's Matt out there trying to see and what's the big things we should be looking for at Royal Rumble, Connor? Well, that is correct. Matt is on
2: assignment right now down in San Antonio. Uh, He is doing all the media day stuff related to the Royal Rumble as well as some Uh, Events tied to WWE 2K23, whose trailer dropped this week. So we'll have some pretty cool exclusives coming out of that. But now is the time, Kofi. Now is the time for the best Royal Rumble predictions on the internet. Why? Because they are the only ones that are right. You can find other predictions on sites all over the internet, but this is the only one you actually got to pay attention to. So let's talk about the two Rumble matches. We got the Women's Royal Rumble. A recent report came out this week indicating that there are some big changes to the women's championship plans now that Ronda Rousey has, for whatever reason, removed herself from the equation. But none of that has deterred me from the woman I picked a month ago to win this match. Rhea Ripley is winning the Women's Royal Rumble. She is one of the hottest acts on Raw right now. She and Bianca had an incredible rivalry back in NXT. They have not had a singles one-on-one match on TV since their last bout in NXT back in February 2020. That's pre-pandemic for you folks keeping track at home. Belair is is looking to get to a full year as Raw Women's Champion at WrestleMania. Rhea has the Judgment Day, who can help stack the deck in her favor. That's going to make for a fantastic WrestleMania program. So Rhea Ripley has to win the Rumble this weekend. Now for the tricky one. It's the men's Royal Rumble. There are so many questions heading into WrestleMania season. Is The Rock coming back? Does he have enough time in his very busy schedule to come back for a match? Did Steve Austin agree to the WrestleMania match with Roman Reigns that was reportedly offered very recently? And we had the story on that this week. Will they finally split the two world championships before we get to Mania? Because that still seems to be the big thing that's been teased week after week. What are they going to do with Sami Zayn? He is the hottest act in the company right now. And I would make a strong argument. His storyline with Roman is the best thing in pro wrestling right now. Is he going to be a factor in the main event at WrestleMania? Would that mean he'd have to win the Royal Rumble? What happens at Elimination Chamber next month? It's in his hometown of Montreal. We had all these questions and I do not have the answers for those. But I think the trick is, is that none of those actually need to be answered this weekend. The only thing that does need to be revealed is who was winning the Rumble, and I am still picking Cody Rhodes. Reason number one, of the 16 men who have actually been confirmed for this 30-man match, he's the only one with a legitimate shot. Reason number two, he is the easiest piece of the puzzle to move around, no matter what the answers are to all those questions I just listed. If you want to split up the titles before Mania, he stays on Raw and fights for the WWE championship. If The Rock can't make it, you pair him up with Roman. And if the fan support for Sami Zayn is so big that they have no choice but to add him to that main event, you make it a triple threat and problem solved. My only word of warning for this year's Royal Rumble. And folks who have been following WWE for the past decade know exactly what I'm talking about. You do not want a 2014 situation. And you are setting yourself up for that if you don't firmly establish that Sami Zayn is not in the Rumble. Because the fans have clearly picked their guy. And if he's not in the Rumble, but there's always the possibility he could be, people are going to boo Everybody in that match until he shows up, including Cody, who you're trying to push as one of the next faces of your company. If you can firmly establish, have Roman say in a promo, hey, Sammy, you are banned from the Rumble. It's that simple. But do not leave that door open or you're setting yourself up for a disaster. If you don't believe me, ask Dave Batista. That's all I got,
1: Kofi. <laughs> Wow. That was great. Wow. Connor coming through hot. That was one of the best monologues I think we've ever had on this show. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Keep your guys, guys, keep your eyes peeled to comicbook.com wrestling. There's going to be a lot of content coming your way and it's going to be a good week. Uh, I lied to our people in the uh, booth. Rich, Rich and Aaron are in the booth today, and I lied to them telling we were going to make an announcement at the beginning of the show because my brain can only hold information for like 10 seconds before it's gone. (laughs) I already uh, forgot too. Yeah, breaking news as we came on today is The Last of Us has been renewed for season two. On HBO, it's official. The Last of Us is coming back for season two Let's on go. HBO. It literally got announced right when we sat down Amazing. and hit the button to launch the show today, which is typical of I mean, this show, like right before we started, right after we're done. Did we
0: even expect it to not get no. to season two? Oh, there no, there was never a doubt.
1: Yeah, there yeah. was never a doubt. But now that just means we are in for more hashtag more pain because more content. Woo, we know season one is game one and game two, we were just in the office all and it was it was crazy. We were all just like reliving like PTSD playing The Last of Us Part Two while simultaneously saying how much we loved it, because mm-hmm. I guess that's just what who, people kind of work at this office. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't I, I'm not even going to I'm not even ready for people who are now getting into this mainstream viewing. To get into the content of the second game it's oh gonna my get gosh. wild um but we're gonna talk more about the last of us right now in the bonus after section of the show that we're about to record and put out on our youtube page we're also going to talk about everything that happened with rick and morty this week and uh it's co-creator justin Royland. we're gonna get into that mess as well and debate what should be done going forward so be sure to stay tuned and hop on over to our YouTube page later today once we have the video up, so you can also come back and check out the bonus overtime section of Comic Book Nation, which we are doing because we have so much to talk about, but we only got an hour, so we want to make sure we get all this content covered because we are the only show that covers all things geek culture. That's it for our regular live stream broadcast. Thank you, guys. If you're just tuning into the podcast, subscribe on your favorite platforms, Apple Podcasts, and everything in between. Also, subscribe to Twitch or on comic book nation, YouTube, whichever your favorite platform is for video. Cause we love to interact with our fans there. You can find me at Kofi outlaw.
0: You can find me at Janelle Wheeler.
1: And at Connor KCCB. CB. We also have the at comic book nation, Twitter feed for all your questions, concerns, or anything you just want to chat about. We will love interacting with you guys. So hit us up. That'll do it for the regular show. We will see everybody next week, same time, Fridays, noon, Eastern, Live streaming here in the CB studios. We are comic book nation. The only show that does it all for geek culture. Be sure to check out our content also on ComicBook.com. Peace. Hi guys. Later. What's up? And if you're watching this, welcome back to Comic Book Nation for our after show segment that has yet to be titled, but where we continue the discussion in a little bit of our more hair, let our hair down fashion after our live stream and after our Paramount Plus show. We are here on our Comic Book Nation YouTube channel. And today joining me from the regular show is Mr. Connor Casey, who was on with us. What up? Jumping in from our comic book anime team, the man himself who crushes a lot of our anime subject matter.
3: Mr. Nick Valdez is here. Oh, man. Howdy, everybody. Uh, Thank you for having me. I I wish it was under better circumstances. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So
1: this is a team I've recruited to help me sift through the mess of Rick and Morty. So at the time of recording this this week, the announcement broke that Rick and Morty star and co-creator and voice of Rick and Morty, Justin Roiland, was fired from the show because of both criminal domestic or felony domestic charges and some more unsavory things that had him possibly doing some very kind of questionable communications with people. This is uh, that part, I think, is alleged. The felony domestic stuff is now a formal charge uh, out in Los Angeles, I believe. And so, yeah, the combination of all that created obviously a kind of PR storm that made adult swim and the rest of the Rick and Morty team decide to cut ties with Royland. and those ties that the cutting, I mean, he's just been cut loose Kanye style across pretty much everything. Um, He got cut from Rick and Morty, his other show with Hulu uh, solar opposites of which he is like the sole person kind of, it's not him and Dan Harmon. That's him. Uh, He got cut from that too. his game studio, Squanch studios or Squanch games, he had to cut ties with them, too. So, I mean, it, it's been a pretty, pretty uh, big week of fallout for all things Justin Roiland. And now we're kind of left with the question of what to do. Specifically, we're going to focus on what to do about Rick and Morty. So Adult Swim put out a statement saying they were formally announcing they were cutting ties with him, but also saying we're going to keep Rick and Morty going. It's already in production on season seven. The crew is mad talented. We're not stopping this. You know, basically, they said One Monkey don't stop no show, and we're going to do this. All right. So that's left us in a kind of a weird discussion place because, you know, there are a lot of people who are obviously like, yeah, after all this came out, like, yeah, get that guy off the show, get him out of here. The question I have for you two gentlemen is do you agree that Rick and Morty can continue without Justin Roiland? And then we're going to get into discussions about how or how not that might be feasible. So Nick, you are the person who I mean, you have jumped in and <laughs> sorry, but you're the person who jumped in on the uh, Rick and Morty beat and has been just nailing it for us for pretty much seasons uh, 5 and 6. So how are you feeling, buddy?
3: Yeah, this is something that I've had to contend with as a professional person and as a fan of the series, you know. So what I'm so glad that they cut ties, you know, cause there was a hint that they would continue because it's already been confirmed for 40 more episodes at this point. We're going straight through season 10 and, you know, it is one of the steadiest gigs in adult animation, which these days is hard to come by. So on the plus side, those are two big things. On the other hand, it's, we're in an unprecedented front where two of the Taylor characters in a series are being replaced by someone new. So, you know, there are reports that Royland hasn't been as involved with the creative side of things as he was maybe in the early days. So in a sense that, you know, that's not the, the worst case scenario losing him, but it is going to be a thing of, you know, suddenly all this attention is going to be on season seven, where, you know, season six, as someone who covers it day to day, you know, it's, it wasn't the hottest season. And suddenly now this honestly, like this might be the best thing for it. Like this, it, this is going to rejuvenate Rick and Morty. It's going to at least get so many more eyeballs on it to see how Adult Swim handles it from this point on. And unfortunately, it's probably also so far into production that we won't see any significant changes until season eight, maybe even season nine.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a factor. I don't think a lot of people, I mean, as somebody, you are our expert on this and even I, I don't think have sat back and kind of thought about that, about where, when they said that little note in their message about separating with Royland, they did say we're in production and like mm-hmm. on seven, which is kind of, I think was the PR way of saying, you guys are stuck with him for a little bit longer. Like, because we already made that money and filmed that stuff, so we buckle in for that. Um, But yeah, like you're right, season eight or season nine, and we're going to talk about that, but first I want to get Connor's thoughts on all this. So it
2: doesn't surprise me at all that they're continuing with the show, that massive, what was it, 70-episode deal that they signed on four years back, which I honestly thought was a giant albatross to the series, to keep stretching it out ad infinitum like this, because you look at other adult animation, Family Guy's Unwatchable at this point, and the corpse of Uh, The Simpsons just got renewed for two more seasons. So the last thing you wanted to see was a show like this get dragged out to those levels. But yet this is exactly what we're setting ourselves up for. Uh, So it doesn't surprise me at all that it's continuing. As for what the show is going to look like, it really hinges on what performers they pick to get who's playing Rick, who's playing Morty, is the same guy playing both is that same person going to be playing all the different background characters like Royland would always do and how is their delivery going to compare to his because Nick you mentioned how the his the creative side of things he wasn't as involved in but so much of the especially the Rick humor comes from mm-hmm. his improvisation his you know the the trailing off the belching and the the random interjections same with Morty so whoever they bring in has to either bring that exact same kind of flavor or do something completely different. And suddenly we're lo- when we look back at the show, when it's completed, we look at the Royal and being these first six seasons and the name actor here for the rest of those seasons. And then people can debate endlessly as to which side was better, but they got to pick the right person first for that. Um I don't think the show was dead in the water. I think that like you said it's kind of the breath of fresh air that it needs. I mean, season 6 I think was better than season 5. But yeah. then again nothing from this season topped how the evil morty thing ended for now. So it's right. it's very much a question of is this effectively a reboot? Is does this can we fix some of the lifelessness that the show had been carrying for a bit?
1: So, yeah, that's a good and that's a good jumping off point. So Nick is covering a lot of this um, and we're both kind of writing because I do a little Rick and Morty myself. But we're writing some kind of thought pieces and spec pieces. And there's one I've been kind of obsessed with and I want to get to. Um, So, yeah, on the one hand, first of all, Royland's voices were so I got to talk to him this year before. I think Nick did, too, before Mm -hmm. uh, season six came out. We both did. And, you know, he has he was admitting that, like Connor said, yeah, at this point, he was just standing in a booth doing both voices, talking to himself and just riffing a lot of it and being like, yeah, a lot of it is just now by this point, I've done this so long, like it, it's it's that. So there is a certain amount of truth to that. I mean, on the other hand, we've seen I mean, there have been so many viral videos that Royland himself has even endorsed of people who impressionists who have picked up on the Rick and Morty voices and are able to do them you know, so spot on in impressions that even like I said, Royland himself was like, damn, that guy's good. So but then it's that. a
2: question of do you want it to be an impression? Exactly. Or do yeah. You want someone yeah. to bring but something. That's in?
1: and that's where I'm coming to. So I think Nick hasn't said something about, I mean, we're gonna be stuck with them. And I think it's good that we actually do have to stick with this through season seven, at least through at least the first part
3: of season seven season seven, I would estimate. At yeah, least the first yeah, and um, I, I feel like, oh, sorry to interrupt, but I feel like if they do if they do go that route, it's going to be kind of like what they did in Big Mouth, where, you know, we had Jenny Slate voicing one of the characters, uh her character for like the majority of the season, then in the last episode, it gets switched out to the new cast member because it's so late in production at that point. And we might get something like that here. Either that or whoever they get is unfortunately going to have to stick to the script and stick to like Royland's cadence. And, you know, they won't be able to inject so much of their own personality, at least. Yes. Until season eight, season nine, since this one, you know, it's already written. It's probably already much further along than we suspect. Let me ask you this because
2: it's, he's, he's getting kicked off the show because of a crime with Jenny Slate. It was, Hey, we, we've got an issue with mm-hmm. this actress portraying this, this character of color. And we wanted to have those things match up more would they be more inclined because, and because it's voice acting, it's not physical acting where they have to go and reshoot everything. They could essentially record everything. Would they entertain the idea of whoever they pick to go back and record the lines that Justin already did?
3: Yes. Yes. That's very much on the table. And that's also probably why, you know, the, the idea of imitating the voice is getting thrown out there. I agree with Kofi that that's not something I want, You know, we've seen Adult Swim handle this before with the likes of Squidbillies when they had to replace Unknown Hinson for the voice of Early Kyler. They straight up, Adult Swim kind of swung for the fences and were like, hey, we got Tracy Morgan for this. They addressed it in like the first two minutes of the premiere. And that's kind of what I hope we get for Rick and Morty season seven. Like, it's so far in, we won't see any big story changes addressing why voices are changed. We'll probably get a cold open in like episode two where they're like, oh, suddenly our voices are different and it's whoever the new performers are, but they are going to have to match a lot of what has already been recorded in terms of, you know, these animated lip flaps and all the likes of that. Great.
1: And here's where I'm kind of coming to, and you guys have even set my launch pad up even better. This is a piece I'm writing right now. And when I get out of here, I got to finish it. But yeah, there, the Rick and Morty is unique in that the show has, from the very beginnings, really from the very first opening credit sequence, made you kind of entertain the idea that nobody and nothing is safe. The opening credits has that scene of Rick abandoning Morty to get killed. And you Mm. look at that and you're like, wait, what? And then you realize as the show goes on that he's done this many times. And you even get to that season one uh, episode, nine episode that I made one of my friends who said, how do I get in Rick and Morty? I was like, if you can handle this, you'll handle the rest of the show, which is the one where they Cronenberg, the universe. And the ending of that is so dark where they go to that alternate universe with their alternate selves who die and then they bury themselves, which is not the last time the series has done this, which is swap out major characters or entire realities that we got Mm -hmm. comfortable in and been like, yeah, now it's somebody else or now it's something else. So Rick and Morty has already laid down that precedent. And so like Nick said, if something happens in the show to change them, it's actually something that they can have fun with in universe. My thing that I'm writing now is I think the show does need to do something different. I'm with Nick, but I think it needs to make it a big swing for the fences change. And meaning like, and they have a unique opportunity right now, which is why I was talking about season seven, either at the end of season seven or some midpoint, you know, we started this whole Rick prime thing. And if you don't know behind the scenes, one big change that happened in Rick and Morty season five is Scott Marter came on as a producer. And if you don't recognize the name Scott Marter is, I mean, that guy does one thing. He goes to comedy series that have been on for a while, but still kind of muddled. He says, Here's your mythology. Here's what's best about you. We're streamlining this. And now we're going to be like funnier and more cohesive as a continuity and, and mythos going forward because your show's gotten that popular. He did it with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia around season five or so when that show really kind of locked in. And he did it here with Rick and Morty. I think he came in like somewhere in four, but was just behind the scenes. And five was the time where we start to see him really pull it all together and say, okay, you got to start answering some of this stuff. You got to start dealing with some of this stuff. You can't just be this weird avant-garde, like all over the place are too popular. And so he's really been the person they've handed off. And that became clear in the interviews, like talking to Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland. They're like, ask Scott. And like, he knows. And like, Scott Martyr would answer. So he can be handed the reins. But I think you do need to do something narratively where you can use your villains, your, your mythos, Rick Prime, Evil Morty, both out there, right? But I think our Rick and Morty, we know, have to lose. They have to die. They have to be killed. And they lose. And the show then switches, because it can do this, to a new Rick and Morty. Like, an entirely new version of Rick and Morty who will come into the show and even just do, like, a Taley's Lost thing. Make fun of Lost, hell. Like, where you jump to this other set of characters on the island and now they kind of take over. And I think you need to do that. And these alternate Rick and Mortys would have alternate voices None of that would be too jarring. It'd all be kind of a meta wink thing that the kind of fandom would appreciate. And it would like do exactly what Nick said. It would make it a new story for us to open and kind of follow, make it interesting again. It'd still be Rick and Morty, but slightly tweaked, slightly different new histories, new backstories, new dynamic, new voices, same supporting characters. Cause they're interchangeable. The Beths, the Jerry's, the Summers, but, and now this Rick and Morty has to come and deal with these threats that the other Rick and more like see Rick C 137. And, you know, he didn't maybe get it done. And so there are these other Ricks that come in and do that. And that's kind of a soft reboot. And it's a big swing. But I think, like I said, this is the one show that I would have faith can pull it off. And so you have a new actor and I bring bringing somebody. One of my favorite suggestions from Twitter was bring in Regina King to do one or two of these voices. Like <laughs> make her like Rick and Morty and just give us a little boondocks.
2: So it's just the boondocks in space now.
1: Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I heard you at least one of them. I would love that. I'd be totally down for it. But I mean, you can, like you said, you can get a big distinctive voice, whether it's H. John Benjamin, Regina King, people we know from animation who do all this great yeah. work. Um, Sabat, you know, all these people who are out there. And so you can bring them in, have a big name that is a distinctly different voice, no imitations, no trying to continue the role. In. And like Connor said, you have a distinct part of the show where it's like, this was the Roiland Rick and Morty saga. Now we expand and we start doing something different with these new actors. And it's still a character, but new versions. So you, you that's my sense. And that's what I said.
2: it. And now I just want Sean Schemmel to play.
3: Morty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, I do hope I do hope it's two actors, you know, let, let two people go into booth and kind of play off each other that way, because that also would be that extra bit of energy, you know, instead of relying on one talent to try and, you know, it goes back to the imitator thing, because we're already going to have tons of, let's say, annoying, I'm going to be outright saying it like annoying conversations about, oh, this isn't as good as Royland. Oh, this isn't as good as it was before. Like, let's yeah, avoid said- all of that.
1: And in my piece begins, my whole piece begins with look, we know this story. We know how <laughs> it we've seen it too many times. People say, screw Roland, he, Royland, he's a monster. Get him out of here. Get new person in from Rick and Morty. And those, and of those people, the majority fraction of them, even, will then say, Ah, this isn't the same. Yep. Ah, this isn't my Rick and Morty. Uh, they should have just ended it. Let's get out of here. And then they'll be gone. <laughs> and then it's a slow death, like Connor says. It's before long, we're watching the corpse of Rick and Morty in season 23. Right. And nobody <laughs> wants that. So yeah, like the imitation thing, I think you got to get rid of. And I think you got to Like I said, swing fent- and give people a new premise and a new yep. Rick and Morty in the one show. You can pretty much besides like Loki that you can do that and just be like, yep. Whole new Rick and Morty. You've seen this before. Now it's just slightly different and let people go in that way. But that's just me. You guys, you guys have any final thoughts on solving this mess? I, I just I feel th- bad. I feel so bad for the rest of the Rick and Morty crew. I, yeah. The yeah. animators, everybody who finally locked in this job was like, I wasn't sure it was going to last, but here we are. Now we're like rolling. Yeah. No point. No pun intended. Now we're rolling. And like, then this, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I have one. Yeah. I, I have one idea
2: when they, when they say, Hey, we're going to introduce the new voice cast in this episode, have the episode be a silent episode. And then oh just have them flip off God. the camera. And then you have
1: to wait till next week to hear them.
3: That would be... Really, that, like that really, really, really like that idea.
1: I really like that idea. Yeah. I really like that idea. And it's a very Rick and Morty thing to do. So, I, I mean... yeah. Connor, just, I hope your yeah. idea goes up the ladder and gets to somebody because it, it needs to happen. That would be yeah. an, and it would just be an amazing episode. Like and I love yeah, when they a do whole
3: stuff. silent movie episode, right? Yeah. Like a, you know instead of speaking, we get the words on screen and yes. yeah, but yeah, from <laughs> go Silent Planet. <laughs> like, like yeah. that.
1: That'd be amazing. Oh man! All right, so that's Ricky Morty. Um, Nick, thank you for taking your time off from your day to come in and uh, sludge through this mud with us. Uh, you can oh. stick around. We're going to talk about The Last of Us latest episode and kind of uh, what's coming up. If you want to hang out for I that, you can. otherwise you can get back to your busy day.
3: Yeah, I wish I could, but I haven't seen it. I mean, I guess I have to now, right? Season two, but uh, but thanks for having me, everybody. I really appreciate it. Later. Nick Valdez, And you can always find his work over on our comicbook.com anime
1: page where we cover anime, manga, and kind of all things from Adult Swim and other places that kind of really do house and promote anime. So check out his work over there. Connor, for the end of our bonus section today, you and I are just going to trade a couple quick thoughts. Uh, what'd you think about the last of us episode two you like in the show? So I'm in the weird spot where I still haven't played the games, but I know Ooh. what
2: happens. So I, I knew this was like, this is the lone wolf and cub story. This is not lone wolf and cub and motherly character story. So I knew Tess was going to bite it here pretty quickly, but um, no, the, this. The show is fantastic. I freaking love Chernobyl and try to get... It's one of those shows where it's like, this is one of the best written shows I've ever seen. It is also impossible to recommend to somebody because it just gets horrific at <laughs> so many different points. Um, that being said, like so much of what made that show great has transferred to this. And I think what's interesting is that the stuff that specifically is new to the show that was added in is being praised as some of the outright best scenes. The opener from last week in the 1960s. This week with the uh, with the scientist being like, "Your only solution is to bomb this city and everyone in it. It, it." Little details like that are they're chilling, but they help make this world feel all that much realer.
1: And- yeah, that opening scene really messed me up. Like, what if? Because as it is, like, there's always going to be a scientist who knows first, like how screwed we are. And then she was just like, I just want to go home and be with my family. And I was like, right. oh, God. Like, uh. yeah, this whole thing with the fungus is terrifying. Um, Cordyceps research has gone up. Uh, my psychology studying fungus is now about to be like the hottest new thing.
2: <laughs> college. Is the, the mouth tendrils is what gets me because it, oh, it, it's yeah. just so unsettling.
1: Well, it's, I mean, if you've actually, I mean, it's even worse when you look in in real life and real science, like there's pictures now that people are like, that are surging on Google of like what it looks like when a cordyceps, it can't inhabit humans. Let's all be clear about that. It can't infect humans, Mm -hmm. but it can infect insects. And what they say in the show is correct. It gets into a body. It replicates and replaces the body cells with its own fibers, mycelium, and then it takes it for a puppet walk and there's pictures of like a grasshopper that's infected with cordyceps. They cordyceps. A lot of them are fungus that are just attached and parasitic to caterpillars. And you see these things and it's like, yeah, this thing just takes over. Mm-hmm. It finds the body. It takes over. And it's like, now I'm in charge. And so, yeah, Thinking about how that could go wrong is is really terrifying, and it's just a slight mutation change, right? But um, luckily none of that has happened in millions of years, and we're we're, we're okay. We're
2: we're, uh, we're safe. Not the global warming thing isn't going to cause this, like the like the show indicated.
1: Yeah, no, Earth is a little bit more uh, timeless and enduring than that. Yeah. As as I'm have seen some some things with the dinosaurs and whatnot. So yeah, these temperatures I don't know about, but uh, it's just a but it's good science fiction and horror because it's that slight tweak of reality that makes you think it could happen and then keeps you up at night. And every Mm -hmm. time now you're covering the floors and every time you see that black mold or the red mold or whatever, you're like, you know, you're going in, but um, yeah, I I mean, I'm really digging the show in episode two more. So as they've broken away and and like you said, added new scenes and done stuff, I think it enhances what the game did. Um, The things like the hive mind aspect, which is nowhere near, is nowhere in the games, but better be part of the last of us part three now, like better, like that's a change, and Neil Druckmann, like kind of the, one of the the writer of the game, approved that, and it is more terrifying. I'd love to play the game where you step on one thing, and then you hear like in the distance this roar, and then like you're in an open battlefield, and it's just like a horde of infected coming, and you have to hide and fight and get out of there and do that. That'd be really awesome. So, correct me if I'm wrong, but the second game
2: kind of put the. For big portions of the game, they're, the Infected are kind of in the background. Yeah, it's and not. It's, it's, it's more about thing, Ellie's it's, revenge.
1: It's, it's literally about the title, like The Last of Us. It's about right. w- these last vestiges of humans and how they've organized into different camps mm-hmm. and like what those camps are going and the cycle of violence between them. Mm-hmm. One did something to the other. Now somebody has to do something to the other. And it's all about kind of this thing about even in the midst of Doomsday, we're still killing ourselves and right, right. doing all the horrible stuff to each other so.
2: Now, yeah. let me let me ask you this because we mentioned in the main show that season 2 is confirmed and it reminded me of a of an article I read from an interview where Craig Mazin, the guy behind Chernobyl who, you know, he's on this show and he's he's doing a lot of this stuff with Druckmann. he says he wants it to, to be 3 seasons. Now, there's yeah, not you a third game. Up,
1: you have to split up
2: the second game. It's too long do,
1: and it's too Do you have evolved. to split
2: up the second game or do you have to add
1: more stuff to season both. two? I think you have to do both. Okay. I think you have Would to. Be- I can tell you exactly what I think you have to do. I think you have to kind of tell the interim story that the second game doesn't cover and only in brief flashbacks, which is what happened between the years between the end of the first game and the second game and how it affected Joel and Ellie's or whoever survives relationship. Let's say, I don't sure. want to go into too many spoilers, but um, then yes, there's this big new two prong story with two main characters that happens in the second game. So I think you have to fill in the gaps and show that interim period that the second game hints at and flashbacks and stuff about just what happened in the immediate aftermath of the first game mm-hmm. and what it leads to and in, in the kind of destruction and how it changes things. And then I think you have to end the second season with the first significant chapter of the game which ends in a very drastic so thing. a certain character
2: dying via golf yeah. club needs to be the yeah. end and you, you end and there
1: going- and or you end right after that with the mission of kind of like the revenge part. And mm-hmm. then the third season is about two different characters kind of circling each other for this kind of revenge kind of thing and that they got to kind of work out so i think that's how you do it i mean it seems like the easiest way but uh it's gonna be nuts to see (laughs) when that shift happens and what happens to like people so y'all thought the red wedding
2: was upsetting yeah this thing tore the fan base in two and as someone on the outside i saw how ugly it got
1: oh yeah i mean i even knew going into the second game and i was still just like it was nuts but um, yeah, as we get off, we're going to conclude with saying, uh, yeah, you can always check out immediate recaps. The comicbook.com uh, podcast network now has The Last of Pods, which our uh, own Brandon Davis does with Ash Croson of E.T. And every week they break down the episodes. They have, you know, people from the show on. So check that out every week. This week coming up is going to be the first real, I think, big controversial episode, episode three which tells the story of Frank and Bill who are characters from a first part of the game that made a significant impact and really became kind of like breakout fan favorite part of the game. So it's also going to challenge some of the people about kind of what, because people I don't still think don't understand some of the deeper character things and in, in the nature of some of the characters in the series and what it really does deal with like underneath on the subtext about anything from like identity to gender to, you know, sex and love and relationships and people don't, really know that's coming and so this is going to be kind of one of the first hints and i can't wait to see what twitter does afterwards so that's the last of us connor thank you for hanging out and discussing episode two with me episode three is coming up you can check out the last of pods every week on our comic book podcast network which is on all major podcast platforms this is comic book nation this is our bonus overtime. hope you check in every week we will be putting these up on our youtube page where you can get more of our discussion of some of the even more geekier things we like to talk about I'm Kofi Outlaw. You can follow me at Twitter, at Kofi Outlaw.
2: At KCCB on Twitter. Check us out on TikTok, Comic Book Wrestling, and check out all our coverage of the Royal Rumble this Saturday. Myself, Matt's on the scene. Nick will be helping with the writing, as will Evan Valentine. We got the whole thing covered wall-to-wall, so don't you dare
1: miss it. All right, and be back next week for our regular show every Friday at noon Eastern, live on Comic Book Nation YouTube. See you guys then. Peace. Later.